DGAF, the myth, the legend. He seems to be everywhere, and this week he's on the zoo. Welcome back to the Poker Zoo. Indeed, you have found the Poker Zoo podcast. Thanks for tuning in once again. You can find us at persuadio.nl or simply do a search for the Poker Zoo. Uh, .nl, uh, of course, could stand for No Limit or it could stand for Persuadio's nefarious ties to the Netherlands, which he doesn't like to talk about. Nevertheless, you can find each of the episodes there. A place to leave comments underneath. We'd love to hear from you if you have comments about the show, questions about Persuadio's hand analysis, or anything else of interest. You can also leave an audio comment. Send to Persuadio at gmail.com or thepokerzoo at gmail.com. We'd love to interact with you on the show at some point. You can also follow us on Twitter at Zoo Poker. Each of the episodes are posted there as they become available. And started a Facebook page last week, started to feed in some of the old episodes, so that's not quite up to speed yet, but should be in a week or so. Some say that there's no use voting because he has already predetermined the outcome of both the Democratic primaries and the subsequent presidential election. We, however, just call him Persuadio. Well, welcome to a special double edition of The Zoo. I'm going to be speaking with a man who, if in a way, is, well, he's kind of an urban legend of poker, frankly, who has really lived the dream and maybe the nightmare that poker has promised, especially to those who started in the poker boom. And I'm going to return the favor by appearing on his own podcast, which is an extremely awesome one known as Sessions, basically uh, the story, the complete story, and a very regular, regularly updated one of a live grinder making his way back essentially from zero. Uh, so welcome to the zoo, Mr. GGAF. Thank you uh, very much for having me on. Is that a fair summary? Have I done you justice? That, that was good. I, I, I got, yeah, I got lost in your story there. That was a really good intro. I like that. Live the dream and the nightmare, and both are true. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna get into that. Um, but first, just to sort of introduce you to anyone who doesn't know who you are, you've been very busy of late, haven't you? Busy? Yes, <laughs> extremely busy. <laughs> um, yeah, you mentioned my podcast sessions. Uh, I drop, um, I drop about an hour six days a week. So, and you know from having your own podcast. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of work right there, um, and and in it I discuss my life and also my poker sessions. So yeah, and I'm also a dad of two, and I travel back and forth between San Diego and Las Vegas every week. So yeah, busy is a pretty good word for me. And you have added to that by adding interviews. Now you just took on almost everyone's favorite live player, uh, Lyman, right? Yeah, I. Yeah, I had an interesting interview with him um, on, what, was it yesterday? Yeah, it was actually uh, the day before yesterday at Commerce. Um, I interviewed him. I didn't know how long we were going to do it, and it went for almost four hours. So, yeah, I'm new to the interview game, but uh, I like it. That's great. You know, he gets a lot of flack, and I just, I don't understand why. How, How can you not like that guy? 
I, I love him, but you'll understand why he gets a lot of flack when you hear uh, part three. Um, <laughs> I was going to release part two. My normal uh, release time is 3 a.m. Um, just because on the East Coast at 6 a.m., people might be going to work. Um, and I decided to hold back. And I'm actually going to edit for the first time ever. Um, just edit out some names. He kind of uh, went on a which is fair. Um, but I just, you know, in the interest of protecting him and the uh, people he was ranting about, I'm just going to bleep out the names. Um, and, yeah, so he's very, his his persona, you know, in social media and, and the Internet and interviews, it's very strong and sometimes harsh. Um, as a person, he's as nice a guy as there is. That seems like that. Now, you're... You don't. You try to be a little nicer. You give people, you know, nicknames, and you're worried about running the games. I mean, that's fair, right? Yeah, I, I think my my online persona is very similar to my real one. Um, I try to be very considerate of everyone. Occasionally, I'll snap, and, you know, and on two plus two or something, and and drop some heat on someone. But yeah, in general, I, I I'm all about harmony, community. Stuff like that. Life's too short to be uh, throwing shade at people. Um, and, and I just try and uh, – my main thing is I try and understand everyone. So, Is that something that's sort of natural to you or did, did the, the struggle of poker breed that? Did, how did that come about? The understanding? Yeah, being being interested in harmony and being interested in community. You talk about it and you – you want yeah. to be this 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 host essentially in in life and in the game. Yeah, so I've always been a considerate person. I'm a I'm extremely sensitive to to what's going on, people's energy, and and, and I'm very perceptive. And I've always just been very uh, considerate, but I did not always have understanding for people. Um, that actually happened um, a little over two years ago when. Um, so just to, in my career, in my poker career, I've made a lot of money and I've never saved one penny. Um, you know, I was the, the new, like the, the new pro athlete that gets a contract and then buys everything and gives all his money away to his friends and family. And anyways, I kind of lived my life very reckless. Um, at the poker table, sometimes I did, but most often I didn't, you know, I'd come up for, with strategy for the situation and I'd play it to win. But in life, I always just clicked buttons and I didn't, I didn't really think about it. It wasn't a conscious thing. And then I kind of hit a rock bottom in a, or I definitely hit rock bottom in 2017. And I had a really strange thing happen. Um, I also was using a lot of Adderall at the time and uh, I quit that. And uh, I started having these um, childhood memories that I had repressed. They started surfacing and uh, it was very painful, but then I was able to see maybe like why I always had been the way I had, you know, so reckless, so self-destructive. Um, and honestly, for the first 43 years of my life, there was no, I don't believe there was like any free will involved in that. I just was a puppet to that stuff. And then, um, so my goal moving forward is to be less of a puppet every day and kind of live my life how I want not let it be dictated by childhood and, and, and you know, and, and some other things, temperament and DNA. 
Um, so yeah, I basically found the understanding for myself um, that, you know, my first 43 years, I just like, oh, I understand why you were so, you know, reckless and self-destructive. And then once I was able to that to do that, um, then I started realizing, you know, everyone else, there's a reason they act the way they do. Some people are naturally very good people. Um, and some people are a little bit toxic or, or whatever, but I think there's a reason for all of it. And I think um, that free will is not, not really the reason. I think free will is something that you got to really work to uh, obtain. Is this a struggle? Is this hard, this change? It, it's not easy, yes. It's, uh, so it's called living an examined life, um, which having a podcast where you, where you literally recap every day of your life and you just tell all your thoughts unabashed, you know that there's going to be a lot of embarrassing stuff in there. You, I, I'm not selling anyone on, my, on me being uh, perfect. I am very imperfect, but I also think everyone else is. And I'm kind of just trying to set the example of, you know, talk about your strengths objectively, talk about your weaknesses, and change doesn't happen overnight. But the more you, you're aware of it, you can make little changes here and there. And, uh, yeah, it's not easy, but I do believe it's possible once you really have an understanding of why you've always been the way you are. And you got to go back through some hard times, or for some people, if their childhood was rough. And, and stuff that you, like, you know, you just repressed when you were a kid and, and you never have thought about again. Yeah, it, it must be difficult to go through this. I don't know, I'm not saying that you're the only one by any means, but to go through this change when you have financial pressures, when you have the family, when you have all these things on you. How difficult has have these actual last two years been for you? Uh, extremely the hardest. So yeah, I do have, not only am I working, I mean, I I have some fun sometimes, but I'm either working or parenting almost every, uh, hour I'm awake and I'm, and I don't sleep enough and all that. So that part's hard being busy. And then the stress that you're, you're mentioning and trying to change who you are, um, you know, that it, it is difficult but one thing that you, you mentioned that I am all about community um, and my podcast uh, has has done something really amazing. The, the way I've chosen to uh, monetize it, I've decided I'm not going to do ads because it's a story podcast and I want to take people's minds away from the moment it comes on until an hour later when I say goodbye for the day. And uh, so I just kind of got lucky there that I said, I want people to voluntarily, um, you know, pledge a small amount each month if they if they listen every day, if it takes their mind away because that's valuable. And um, a lot of people are doing it. 200 people have done it thus far. And the people that have done it, then I gave them a kickback of a of a community. Um, it's basically, there's two, two main things. There's basically, the, you know, two plus two poker forums. We use the same company that, that has their platform. So we just have a different version and it's private. It's all these people that that believe in giving back. And so that's just a natural filter to build this incredible community. It's it's 200 people strong right now, um, and they're people from all over the world. Some people are high-stakes professional poker players. Some people don't play poker at all. And it doesn't matter. It's You know, you have scientists, you have philosophers, 
generally everyone in there is smarter than I am. Um, they just, something about my uh, telling my story relaxes them every day. And uh, so anyways, these people are what, they just, when things get really tough, and, and I'm being 100% sincere, uh, they pick me up. They, uh, you know, I go in the community, and we also have a Slack group, and, you know, I just get love from them daily, and uh, it, it makes it bearable, tough but bearable. How were you surprised at, um, well, let me put it this way, how much of a, how much support did you expect for your podcast idea? Was this something you knew would fly or how did that go? Okay. Great question. You're good at this, man. I need to, uh, I need to take some notes on how you do interviews. You're really good. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Uh, so yeah. So one thing I was working, um, I got this really cool side job in, uh, 2018 um, and I was working for a psychiatrist and I was staying with him, you know, hitting rock bottom coincided with getting a long overdue divorce. And that's, that's neither, neither side's fault. It's just sometimes you need a divorce. And I was the kind of person to never take action in my life and just to, you know, let things be, be bad. And I finally took action, but so I was out of the house that I still pay for beautiful house that my ex-wife and kids live in. And, and that's fine. I like that. I was always the provider. I still am. Um, but I, anyways, I started staying with a friend that I met at a poker table, a psychiatrist, and he gave me a cool side job. I started learning a lot about mental health and, um, we decided to do a, a podcast called a uh, solicited advice podcast where we were going to help. Um, I was going to bridge the gap between people that know nothing about mental health and someone like uh, the guy I was working for, who's obviously an expert on it. And I was going to ask him the questions that I think people have, and he was going to answer them. And I was going to keep going until we got something that a very uh, uneducated person in the mental health field could understand. And we did a few episodes of that and it went well, people liked it. Um, so they said, I w they said, you know, that I was pretty good at it. And, uh, yeah, and then it, so when I decided to make this comeback in poker, I had already made one in 2012, um, but it was easier to make a comeback back then. Um, well, when I decided to do that, I didn't start this podcast sessions to make any money. I just did it to hold myself accountable and to mm -hmm. keep myself sane during this really tough grind. And it's done that, you know, the process of talking into a microphone, you learn a lot, you you get to vent a lot. And of course the community that, that grew and is growing. Um, so I didn't, I didn't expect to get this much support. And honestly, people liked it right away. They liked the, uh, the unique approach to, uh, to hand histories and, and, and player descriptions and, and just, you know, inserting a lot of humor in a game that can be, uh, pretty frustrating. And, uh, and, but when I, I just stumbled upon something that, that people really liked. I started telling my uh, my whole life story, talking about my kids a lot. And it was one episode where I, uh, I just happened, I was coaching my daughter in third and fourth grade basketball. And uh, we made a run in the playoffs and won the championship. And I just told the story in an episode. Instead of poker, I needed it. I needed something positive and I got way into it. And uh, after that episode, 
then the the messages started flowing in that this is what people want. They want the combination, the you know the sessions, the the swings, the funny characters, the frustration, um, and also they want the real life stuff, the struggle, the beautiful moments with your children, um, the tough moments with friends and and people you love, uh, just the real life stuff. And uh, yeah, I did not expect it. There was no plan with sessions. The only the only plan was to keep myself accountable, and it's turned into something uh, pretty beautiful. And the thing that keeps me going a lot. Yeah, it certainly has. It's certainly a beloved podcast in the in the community. But I noticed that um, the GPI, which puts out, I guess is the Global Poker Index, puts out you know kind of some awards for things that do well in the community or that are popular and i was rather surprised not to see your podcast uh nominated and i felt like that was sort of showing how out of touch they are with actual grinders did you have any expectations or hopes to, of, of getting noticed by them uh that's that's interesting that's what uh i think uh i did an interview with brad wilson who has a another podcast called uh chasing poker greatness he asked me the same thing I I guess I didn't know I don't know enough about GPI or I don't really know enough about the business. Um I told him how many downloads I'm getting. I'm getting uh, about a thousand a day, a little bit over, and it's growing. And he said he told me that's massive. I had no idea how that compared to other podcasts. So I had no expectation. But he said that's higher than other people. You should have been on this list. Um and and that's cool that I appreciate other people, um, you know, feeling that way. It's not a big deal to me. Uh, I'm just, I don't know how to put it. I'm just not a mainstream guy. Uh, my podcast is definitely uh, not mainstream poker. Uh, it's just, I never have been mainstream. So it didn't bother me at all, but it is kind of interesting if he's right that, that my uh, downloads are, are, you know, should put me on that list. It's interesting they're either out of touch or uh, it's a snub, but I can't, I can't think of a reason why there would be a snub. I, I don't think I've offended anyone <laughs> in the mainstream world. I'm just not a part of it. You haven't tried hard enough if you haven't upset uh, enough people. Um, but you do like – I mean what's funny is that you don't mind, right? But you're, you're also a private person. Yeah. You, you don't share your name and you know that's, that's no, – no, but you're also someone who has a podcast – and also someone who wrote extensively. That's how you got known in a, in a thread. Could you explain this um, dichotomy where you are yeah. both private and sort of an, also an exhibitionist? So um, a lot of people get, get into the content game to be a personality. And that's cool. The, the, the world needs personalities. The poker world needs personalities. Um, I did not. I... Um, I've always been a writer, and just since I was a little kid, I wrote poems all the time. Um, in college, I was an English creative writing major. I loved poetry. I wrote songs, um, and then I I was always good at poker, though. And when I uh, became a professional poker player, I started writing poker a lot, a lot of strategy. And I kind of had a shift away from strategy, and I just told my life story. When I thought, sorry for my voice, it's a... Basketball season's winding down, so a lot of yelling um, <laughs> and my kids. Um, but anyways, 
So in 2012, I had already been a, a, a poker pro for a long time. I'd already burn out on it. Um, and I kind of thought I was getting out of poker, which was ridiculous because I didn't have any exit strategy whatsoever. But I thought I was sincerely. So I wrote this, my poker story, just to give back to the community that I thought I was leaving. And uh, yeah, but as mentioned, I had no exit strategy and I had another kid coming. And so I didn't get out. And this story, it's called a 2K, a poker story on two plus two. Um, it just kind of slowly evolved. Uh, you know, you go into the well, that's what it's called. Other people in, in other forms, it's called an AMA. And I thought that would last maybe a few days. That was kind of the standard back then when someone gave back and went in the well. Well, today, you know, eight years later, um, almost to the day, um, it's still at the very top. And um, it's just blossomed into this massive thing where I answered every question for a while. And then I started using it as a blog um, just to vent, stay sane, try and uh, drop some wisdom that I thought only I could have given my um, immense um, volume in the, in the live poker world. We're talking, I was, already in, I was already in the live poker world before the boom. And just in No Limit Hold'em, we're talking about 30,000 hours or so of live play. So I just, you know, and I've thought a lot about the game. I used to be your traditional pro, uh, show up, play very solid, tag, um, and I just kind of had a, a shift, in, and I thought there was a better way to do it long term. Uh, that's more about sacrificing your play a little bit to make the game great, and you're going to make more money that way. You're ironically going to make more money playing worse, and the people that are losing the money are going to have a blast, and I just felt like that was a good system. Anyways, I kept writing, um, and but I, the the only objective was to tell a story, to you know. So there are authors in the world that use um, pen names, pseudonyms, whatever you want to call them. We just like telling stories, but also are kind of. Um, I wouldn't say I'm shy. I always was growing up, but I'm not anymore. But I'm just a private person that has this thing inside that wants to tell a story but does not want to be a celebrity or, or a personality or anything like that. Does that make sense? Or I, There's a chance I'm just really weird about this and haven't thought it through correctly. I don't know. <laughs> What's correct is what matters to you. I mean, does it seem like irrational? Not Not correct, but does that seem rational to you? Well, what strikes me is that it seems very rational and that more players should probably be like this. Um, poker is kind of an odd thing. You don't really necessarily want... You want to have many parts of your life and you don't necessarily want everyone knowing you're playing poker. I don't know. That's my take. Yeah, and you don't want to sit down at the table and everyone knows everything about you and you have no idea anything about them. That's a That's a... It's a, it's an awkward thing, and it's a big edge for the people you're playing against. If they know, oh, this guy's broke. He's on his last buy-in right now. Okay, uh, and you know his range is a little bit capped here. Just I'm sending it in. You know, which right. won't work against me. I'll still pay you off. But uh, yeah. Well, that's one of the things that's why people are attracted to you and to your writing and to your podcast is because the the real aspect of grinding is a rather anonymous one. And the people who want their names out there, uh, who are flashes in the pan, um, they 
they really are doing poker for a different reason uh, than you are. I mean, is that yeah. fair? Yeah, I, I think so. I'll say this. I'm at a point where I can say poker is an amazing game. It's very fun. Um, it's probably the best hobby ever. And, I, and I'm just stealing this straight from Lyman, who I just interviewed. He said the same the same thing. And as soon as he said it, I agreed with him. It's then if you if you play too much, if you cross the threshold of make of taking it too seriously, putting in too many hours a week, too many hours a year, it can be fine for a little bit. It starts to lose its luster immediately and it's just a gradual decline well i'm way past um you know the amount of hours any person should play live poker i just and and i just really believe and i see it in other people that have been around a long time and have made it a career instead of keeping it a side gig um that it, it really wears on you every swing wears on you every every like uh you know, selfish behavior you see at the table, it wears on you where it didn't in the past and it just gradually does more and more. So I'm playing poker now to get out of poker. Um, I, I understand it is, um, it was something I absolutely loved before I became a professional and even my first few years as a professional way back when. I absolutely loved it. I had jobs. I would drive 45 minutes to the casino. I would play all night, play my hardest. I would write about it, and I loved it. And that that kind of worked. And I probably should have. Um, I, I don't know. I don't really believe in should haves, but it would have been nice if I always kept that balance. But then when the boom hit, and suddenly I had this thing where I could make a ton of money. I was just naturally built for no limit hold'em. Um, it's just it just fits me so well. Um, and I was just making too much doing that to justify going to work. Well, yeah, I don't know. If I kept the balance, uh, I really believe in the balance. Play on the side. Get as good as you want. Play as high as you want. But don't dive in too far um, or then you're just going to be yearning to get out, which I am. I want to I do other things in my life. I'm almost 46 years old. Um, I'm ready to do other things. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not playing for any popularity at all. I'm just playing to pay bills keep my kids in their, in their house and uh, hopefully uh, have stuff to talk about because my podcast reviews sessions. So that, that's the way I look at it, even when I don't want to go play. Well, it's cool. Even if I run really poorly and something you know, financially devastating happens, it's going to make for good art. And uh, the, the podcast is my, uh, I believe it's my exit strategy. People tell me it is, and I'm going with that. You... Um... You constantly have your bankroll, or it sounds like you make it sound like your role is on the table a lot. Yeah, it is. And and the listener almost can't understand. How do you manage this life? How do you how do you make this happen? Really? So when you're when you're in the like higher stakes pro world, and I consider myself a good person, very honest. People trust me. Um, so when you're in that, you can. Anytime you need money, you can get it, right? And so forever, of a very poor money manager who made a lot of money, I would just spend it all, and then any downswing I would borrow, and then I'd run it back up, pay back, and it just was a constant system. And then I, and then what led to like my rock bottom is a run 
I didn't even see possible in poker where literally every time, not literally, but you know what I mean? Every big pot, you get it in 80%, 90%, 70%, whatever. You just don't win any of them. And uh, I ended up owing. I still do owe a lot of friends. Um, and But they know I'm good for it. It's just I never had the – that whole year, I just never was able to uh, run it back up. And, and, you know, there's two things that work there. The main thing is variance. And the second thing is how do you play well when every time you get the money in good, you lose? And, and the answer is you don't. You play worse than you would if you were running even or, or well. Um, and then I kind of just felt like I shouldn't – I'd say I had no more borrowing power, but I probably do. I just felt like I'm not doing this anymore. I need to, I need to just – stop borrowing and that'll force me to have better spending habits. I, so I don't spend irresponsibly anymore. I just have a high monthly nut because I was always the provider in, you know, for a family in Southern California. And then when you get divorced, that's the expectation. Um, yeah. So how do I do it? I don't, it's stressful, but I think, yeah, I think the answer is I do it by having a podcast. If I didn't, I think it would really get me. Um, but yeah, it makes for good art. It makes for good suspense. Um, people want to, you know, I have people that, that tell me they'll be in their, in their trucks or whatever, you know, somewhere in, you know, far away, uh, fist pumping. Anytime I, I win a nice hand or, um, I played the main event, the last main event in 2019 and I made a nice run. I think I made it to day five. Um, and people were rooting along. They were, I don't know. So I, that's how, and, and like the money of it, I still win. I'm, I'm still, uh, you know, I think I'll just forever be a very winning player in this one variant of poker. The rest of them, no. The ones that depend on having patience and, and, and waiting for the best hand, no, I'm not, I don't think I'll ever be like a great player there. But the ones, you know, just this game, no limit hold them where you can win without the best hand a ton. Um, yeah, so I still win. I'm, I'm waiting for an upswing. It's been, yeah, since I, I haven't, I haven't really gone on one yet. I'm, I, by, uh, you know, just, just winning when I absolutely have to. And, and, and I do have, uh, I do have, I think I have about $1,500 a month coming in for my supporters, um, already. And that number's growing. It's, it goes up about a hundred bucks a month. Um, with new people coming in, joining the community. So that's, and I have some really amazing people in my life. I should, I should say that aside from the community um, that have really just held me up during this time. That, that doctor I told you about, let me stay at his house for a long time, gave me a cool side job. Those two things have ended, but uh, they got me through. And I have other people that have really just been incredible to me. And I look forward to, uh, you know, cycling back up in the financial world and taking care of them. And and in the interim, I take care of them, uh, you know, emotionally as a good friend or whatever it is. Yeah, you've you've um, received a little bit. I, I feel I haven't heard it myself, but I feel like you've received some feedback or criticism that you bristle a little bit uh, over. And that's how you play. Is that fair? Y- yeah. So I, I play a very unconventional style, if you will. I am, I mentioned at the beginning of this interview that I am 
ridiculously sensitive. Um, I just am. I'm a very sensitive person. I have a little boy, and he's the exact same way as a little boy. And it's it helps me to see. Oh, this is why you've always been this way. And um, and so there's good and bad in that. The bad in it is if you're around anything negative, you you don't like it at all. Um, you just can't be around it. And the good in it is that if you're playing poker, you know exactly what's going on with the person next to you. You know if they have it or they don't. And if you can take their range and, and just say, you know, and now you're not playing against value hands and bluffs. You're just playing against uh, bluffs in this situation. And now how can you beat their bluff with, with your poor hand? Or uh, what should you do if they only have value? Um, that allows me to play. And people will, will say, no, it doesn't. Um, it allows me to play a lot of hands, like uh, just just hands that you're, that the charts will tell you to fold, you know, and uh, and people will say, yeah, you're just that's why you don't win. And but I do win. I just don't win enough. Like I, the last two years, I've won, um, you know, three digits an hour with no bankroll playing in like often two five, but, you know, higher than that, too. But I think that's pretty good in this this day and age for someone who doesn't work on their game with a training site or anything like that. I just, you know, it, but because I struggle so much, I was making way more than that in the past. And that's what I need to make to get out of the hole. And uh, it seems like I don't win, but I still win. I have a and I have and I have a graph, a lifetime graph of no limit hold'em that I, that I say goes from the seven on the clock to the two on the clock. And there are dips when you play as high variance as I do. So I like to be in there. I want to see a lot of flops. I want to get in there. Um, you're going to go through stretches where you can't win and everything blows up in your face. And that's when it looks ugly. And that's when the people say, you got to play tighter. No one can win the way you're playing. And, and like, I've literally posted a graph on two plus two that I don't know if anyone has. And I don't mean that in any kind of like, braggy way but i just don't know if anyone's played this much and is like naturally built for this one specific game live no limit hold'em and it just it's there and people will still overlook it because i'll be three betting with king deuce suited out of the small blind and it's based on a read it's something i picked up on the the i know the guy that that limped is weak and i can see it in the pro who um, try to isolate him, that he's doing just that, trying to isolate him. And so, therefore, and maybe I've I've folded for an orbit somehow, and it's a good time for me to, uh, and I block some hands I don't want in there, and it's a good time for me to, to make this really thin, um, you know, pre-flop bluff, if you will. And it works often, and sometimes it do- doesn't. Us- usually the time it doesn't is, like, if the big blind or straddle somehow has a hand that can continue. But uh, when it doesn't, that's when people say, you're just not even trying. Uh, and then when it does, it, it just doesn't register. So does that, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Well, for people who don't understand sensitivities and reads and paying attention to people, you know, for them, it, it must seem confusing. But I'm not interested in their opinion. I'm wondering if... Do you, is, are you frustrated that you oh. can't get this across? Um, because no. I think you're a very believable person. I'm just wondering at at the the emotional 
um, toll of hearing from people, uh-huh. you better tighten up. You better do this and that. How, how do you feel about that? Okay, great question. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to roll it back a little bit. Cool. Um, when I quit my job, I was the most prototypical professional poker. There weren't that many of them, but I, was, I would wake up every morning, work out, healthy breakfast, go to the casino, I'd listen to music. I would be pleasant, but I wouldn't give anything to the game, and I just printed. I played every hand as well as I could, and I, I was a, a chart guy. I was, you know, I wasn't, I would never dream of three betting king dude suited in the small blind. Um, and I was, and that worked for that, that situation. And then uh, something happened where uh, it worked too well that, that the game started to dry up. And like beyond that, like I, I got a lot of, I got a lot of hate actually just for winning too much. Nothing else. I was, I was never smug about it. I've never thought that being good at one silly game means anything. I think being a good person means stuff. But anyways, um, I actually even got like a death threat from some ex-con that was in the game uh, just because I was playing so much better than they were and I wasn't doing anything for my money. I wasn't providing them with anything. They would just would sit down, lose their money. That was it. I'd call it a day. Um, and then I kind of, you know, also in reference to Lyman, in two th- so I had to move. I was playing in San Diego at Ocean's Eleven, and I was people were like, "This guy wins every single day." The, even like the nicer recreational players would be like, "You need to go to a bigger pond. Like, you, it's not cool anymore." And that's real. Mm-hmm. And and it, and I felt it. And you don't want to be playing when no one wants to play with you. So that and then I read that thread by Lyman, which made me think differently about poker. And I kind of just had this when I moved to Las Vegas. It was it was a perfect storm. Um, the games were much tougher in Vegas, but they were also uncapped and people sat really deep for no uh, particular reason um, that has anything to do with winning money. Any, like they sat, they just wanted to show off that they had 10 K or whatever. And so they'd be sitting in a five ten no cap game with 10 K. And I just, at this point I learned, okay, well though I can play almost every hand because they're, they don't have this this self-destructive thing inside that I do where I'll put the 10K in. I'm fine with it. Most people that are well-adjusted, they're not. They have a, a good amount of you know risk aversion or whatever. Uh, so that's when I became a lag. That's when I uh, just shifted from playing as well as I could in each hand to this long-term approach of, no, I'm going to give away little bits of, and pieces of EV all over the place, but my game every night is going to be the fun game, the biggest game. It's going to be the last one to break, and I'm going to make you know even more money feeling great inside with a very sustainable approach. Um, and so, yeah, I've basically – I was the guy with earphones and, and a hat and just laser-focused. You did not want to be at my table in 2007, 2008, but you know, after I went through this transition, um, you did. I didn't – I didn't dress anything like a pro. I have not since. Um, and I don't talk about poker. I, I dumb the, the conversation down. I don't, and I think that's fine. It's funny. Uh, yeah. And uh, so I've been basically trying to convince people that I am not good at poker. And it's, I'm fine with that, except when I'm running really poorly. That's the only time when it, it wears on me a little bit. 
And that's what you call the abyss. Yes. And have you been in the abyss yourself? <laughs> well, I'm a poker player. Come on. Um, I'm going to quote you on this because this seems like a really important theme for okay. you. And this was many years ago. And you wrote in your thread, the abyss is basically relentless bad luck slash no relief. You have to think, okay, and it can't get any worse than this at least 20 times in a row spread out over time before it's even possible you are in it. You have to feel like you can't win, even if lots of data, results, logic suggest the opposite. You have to literally want to cry or break something for several hours straight for there to even be a chance you're in it. Has anything changed? Does that sound like you? Do you recognize that? It's still very real for me. Um, I've gotten to the point where I... I had to put my graph, like I had to print it and put it. I, I have it right right now. I'm at my desk in Las Vegas, and it's it's like one of the few things on the wall. I got a bunch of pictures of my kids, and I have my graph, and then I have like a, a note from a from someone in my community. But because when you and maybe you'll be able to relate to this, I know that I am in terms of big blinds. I might even be the winningest, like, no-limit player just because I put in the most hours and, and whatnot. But when you're going through these stretches, it really feels like you can't win. You don't want to go to the casino because you don't think you can win. And that's just um, our minds really not being built for for variance in, in poker. You know, we, we can handle it when it's a hobby. If it's your everyday thing, it's going to – it's gonna. I've. I've. It's made me obsess over variance, and, and I could tell someone else when they're going through it. No, this is a short-term thing. It seems like that. That's a recency bias. It's some kind of bias. And, but you know, try to try to get through that and play your, your game. But they're gonna say that's not possible. That's not real. And I would agree. When it's you, uh, and you're going through it, and it seems unreal. And yeah, you don't think you can beat the worst player in the game. And then when you're running good, you think this is the easiest game. I can beat anyone. Give me anyone right now. And it's just as much as I've thought about it, and I know that's a recency bias both ways, I believe it's still very real, Um, at least for me. It's not something I've been able to um, hurdle yet. And do you do you think people understand variance very well when you read about it or hear about it from other players? Does what do, does what they say sound real to you? It does not. I, I I have an unhealthy obsession with variance. I'm trying to be less that way. But uh, and I know I didn't know anything at, at the beginning for a long time, and um, I took this obsession uh, and. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. You. Here's the deal. So, if you look at the poker world now, whoever the hot shots are, it's not the hot shots that were here three years ago. If you look at those, it's not the hot shots that were there three years before that. There are some people like myself who just have no plan to get out, and you know should have gotten out when they burned out, but didn't. Um, but other than us, uh, you know, cockroaches who just won't die and and go away, uh, it's. It's just a, a cycle of new people. It's a revolving door, and, and that is variance. And there are outliers, of course. Um, and, 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 but, yeah, I don't – so when people talk about what, what's attainable as a win rate, they're only talking about 
the people that are winning. They're averaging the people that are winning. The people that are losing and disappearing from the world, they're not included in that equation. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I rarely, even the very best players I've ever played against, and I've played against some amazing players, I still, I thought they were great at poker. I thought their their grasp on variance was really poor. And I only think mine's reasonable, and I've obsessed over it for forever. Like, it's it's so hard to understand all the all the variables that go into a hand being one, um, the big pot being one. If, if you win the big pot, what that means, it can mean a lot. A, one giant pot one can change uh, the the trajectory of your career. It can now you have confidence, you're relaxed. Now you have you're deeper, and you can go on and you can shoot it to the moon. Well, you lose that one, and say you're a big favorite. And now your your confidence is going to be a little rattled. You're going to not have the money to play in the bigger game. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think. I it's rare for me to run into someone and I go, oh yeah, you do have a nice grasp on this. Um, yeah, yeah, it's very rare. Well, you know a lot of people, and and you you're not one of the funny things about you is that even though you've stayed private. You're not exactly nobody in poker. People mention playing with you, Doug Polk. Matt Berkey, um, who said he was inspired by you. Do you feel any tinge of resentment towards these players who have gone on to big things? Is is part of that variance, or, or what's how? What's your relationship to um, the, the poker community like the, in in that respect? So some of it is variance, um, and some of it is ambition. I am ambitious now to become. Financially secure. I don't really care about ever being wealthy. I don't believe in that wealth makes people happy. I think it does actually the opposite a lot. But I think financial security is huge. And so that is my ambition now. Prior to hitting rock bottom in 2017, I had no ambition. Pay my bills, everything else, give away. It's just how I was. And so there's no way I'm ever going to... um, for instance, there was a really big game in LA, 100k buy-in, and um, I was gonna—I was gonna go to my box and get 100k and play, but there was some politics, and it made it hard to get in. And I had a friend who said, "Screw that! I'm getting in. You know, I'm gonna do what I need to do. Take a very uh, ambitious approach." And that person got in and won heaps and never looked back. And I didn't. I was like, I'm not dealing with that. So, no, I don't have any resentment towards those guys. Doug Polk is um, extremely smart and talented and driven, right? So, no resentment at all. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a training site person myself. I did. I did resent that particular decision, and I guess Matt Berkey has one as well. But I, I, at this point, I know we're just different people. We have different philosophies. That's fine. No resentment, no, because they put in the work. Uh, and, and yeah, variants probably helped them in key spots. But I never tried for to, like, I was happy always just playing the biggest game, but not, like, the nosebleed games. Um, yeah, I just, I was trying to, like, you know, really live my life, not uh, not run anything up. So, no, no, no resentment at all. Um I don't. I don't have a relationship with Doug anymore, but no, no resentment at all with him. And uh, I love Matt Berkey. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy for him, and I mean that. Like, 
I want everyone to do well. I can come across, I guess, um, I can be very opinionated, but really, I want everyone to do well. I believe, like, I just, I'm all about, like, harmony in my core. Uh, no, no resentment at all. Nice to hear. Um, well, one thing we don't hear about, though, from you is, speaking of these guys, do you follow any poker content? What does DGAF like like to read in terms of poker media, vlogs, blogs, whatever? Anything? So I will, yeah, huh. I, I've i been exposed to some vlogs. I actually um, went out to dinner last night with a, a vlogger, Check Race Charles, who you, I'm sure you know. And he brought another vlogger with him, Brad Owen, very popular. And I'm exposed to this stuff. And I like it. I like Mariano Poker's vlog. Um, and I like, I've listened to your podcast. I really enjoyed uh, the one with Jason Burge, um, that episode. I thought that was great. Um, and But to be honest, I just don't have the time to do anything other than my own grind. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> than my own grind. Play poker, take notes the whole time, be a parent take notes sometimes doing that, occasionally have fun um, and work on my podcast, which when, you, when you're dying to get out of something, and I, and I am, I'd say dying to get out of poker, at least as a, as a pro, I would love to be a rec player. That'd be great. Um, but when you finally think you have something and people tell me that I have something now with, with sessions, I just pour all my time into it. Um, I'm working on it around the clock and then I'm listening to it not like in a narcissistic way, but in a way that I want to learn about myself and I want to get better at the craft. Um, so there is a lot of great content, but no, I don't, I don't even have time to, to listen or, or even watch streams. Occasionally I'll watch the live at the bike Friday game um, where I think the level of play is pretty, pretty high sometimes. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't even have time for it. Well, that sounds reasonable. And I started off saying you were very busy. So, you know, we've, we've taken up nearly an hour of your time, and maybe we should close with uh, what's coming up next. Who, who's on the interview seat besides Lyman? And uh, what, what do you plan on accomplishing in 2020? Well, what's coming up next is we're going to take a break, and then I'm going to interview you. Um, and I'm not as – so I think I'm getting good at my normal craft of podcasting the interview thing, I'm a baby. So it's going to be, <laughs> I, I take a, I take a very uh, casual and organic approach to it. We'll see how it goes, but I'm interviewing you. I'm, I'm all about, um, I could probably get some big name guests and I probably will, but I'm more about like the story that people don't know. Um, and, and, and I don't care how good someone is at poker. It, like I said, that doesn't mean much to me. I objectively think it's one, you know, just this one game, No Limit Holding Live. It's just something that I've, you know, I'm exceptionally good at. It doesn't mean anything to me. Like, I don't, I don't take pride in it. I take pride in other stuff. Uh, I take pride in trying to be, like, a really good person. And, uh, yeah, so if I can interview, whoever comes up, I want to I get the story. I want to I I tell the story that hasn't been told um, and, you know, kind of, kind of prove my theme that we're all equal and flawed and have great things and things we struggle with. And that's, that's my goal with, with my podcast. 
And yeah, so it's not, I'm not seeking out fader holes or anything and no offense to him. I just don't, everyone knows what they need to know about him. Um, and if I, <laughs> if I do interview someone like I will interview Matt Berkey because we go way back and we can tell some stories that the world doesn't know that will be kind of interesting to listen to. Um, but yeah, no real agenda with the interviews. I just want to just do it organically, see what happens. Um, yeah. And then, you know, that's, I try and drop one of those every Saturday and, uh, Monday, Monday through Friday, tell my, my story. Well, that's terrific. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on and I want to urge everyone listening to check out sessions and ship the guy five bucks a month. It's, it's a great deal and it's a good model for someone who's really providing an actual, uh, diary of poker that is not BS and is, is a lot of fun. So, um, We'll take a break, and, and if your voice is up to it, we'll 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 carry on and reverse the roles. Yeah, let's do that. And thank you for saying that. Um, and you, so it's it's through Patreon the the reciprocation model, and uh, you are a patron, so you listen and, and kick down the few bucks a month, and it means a lot to me when uh, other people in the uh, in the game are are respecting my work, and and yeah. Uh, Let's do it, man. I'm, I'm going to drink some water and uh, get my voice a little better, and then let's let's turn the tables. Let me. I want to ask you about everything. All right. We'll sign off here. Thanks for listening. And thank you once again for tuning into the Poker Zoo. You can find the subsequent uh, interview between uh, DGAF and Persuadio over on uh, DGAF's podcast, which we hit, we'll have a link to in the show notes. Speaking of the show notes... Underneath each of the episodes is a place for you to leave comments, questions, anything you would like to share about your thoughts on the podcast. So be sure to do that. Um, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We would uh, love to hear from you there also. On the culinary front, make sure to check out The Chef Show on Netflix. Uh, John Favreau and Roy Choi go around to very famous chef kitchens and uh, try to cook something for the chefs, which usually doesn't turn out the greatest, but uh, they get advice from the chefs anyway. And uh, well, I think it's one of the best cooking shows yet on uh, Netflix. So check it out. Uh, we get invited back to uh, the Orioles sometime in April. So uh, I'm not sure if we can pull that gig together, but if so, I'm sure I'll tell you about it. Anyway, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. Here's the